Pray also for me, so that when I speak, a message may be given to me to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it boldly, as I must speak. Amen. This letter that Paul has been writing to the Ephesians is coming to an end. Throughout the letter, as we've been reading bits and pieces of it over the past few weeks, some pretty amazing claims have been made. Paul, in this letter, tells us that through Christ, God has united everything in the universe and put everything under God's authority. Paul has told us that from our brokenness, God has created a new humanity and that God chose us even before creation began and that we are already raised with Christ and seated with him in heavenly realms. And even in all of that, this new humanity, this body of Christ here on earth has been given gifts to be used here and now. Gifts to be apostles and prophets and evangelists, pastors and teachers all of these gifts given to us so that all sorts of different people can be knit together to build up the body of Christ on earth. But if Christ has been raised, and if we are already somehow raised with him to he heavenly realms, why do we need these gifts? Why do we need to build up the body of Christ here on earth? And this part of Paul's letter, he gives it to us pretty plain. We must stand against the wiles of the devil, stand against the rulers and against the authorities and the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil. Though the war is won, the battles are still being fought here on earth. In this age of science and reason, it is easier to dismiss the notion of evil, but evil still exists in this world. And it is more vile and dangerous than any special effect or jump scare that a horror movie could come up with. The evil of this world is that of oppression, hatred, division, racism, violence, greed, discrimination, abuse. All of these are sins that fall short of God's intentions for this world. Evil is found in, and is invested in our systems of power, but it also nibbles around the edges of our conscience. It's that little voice that creates doubt and fear and jealousy. Sometimes this evil takes a clearly identifiable form. People marching through streets with neo-Nazi symbols, Klansmen in robes. But usually the evil of this world can be much harder to identify. Paul is quick to say that this evil that we are in a struggle against is not necessarily one of blood and flesh. This does not mean that we're not called as Christians to stand up against the evil done by people, but we must be careful to not confuse the two. 
Evil can be named and defeated, but we are called always to seek the redemption of God's children. To call every person that disagrees with us politically or theologically evil is to fall into the very trap of evil itself by leading to division and fear and hatred. Now, if you are like me, you may be thinking, there is no way that I can do all that. There is no way that I can stand up against the cosmic powers of evil in this world. And I am here, along with the Apostle Paul, to tell you, you are absolutely correct. The evil that we must stand against is too big for an individual person. It's too big for a thousand people. But that's not what we're called to do. Listen to what Paul tells us in Scripture. Paul says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Put on the whole armor of God. The strength that we draw on is not our own but belongs to God. The armor that we are given is God's armor and not made of steel or metal and human hands. It is not our human ways of defense, of violence and fear and manipulation, but instead the armor of God is made up of faith and hope and peace. We are called to stand against the evil powers of this world, relying not on our strength, but on the strength and power of God. And so Paul tells us we must put on the whole armor of God. He even gives us the details, what the accessories are that come with the whole armor of God, right? We get the belt of truth to fasten around our waist. This keeps us from tripping over falsehood. It keeps the church flexible to respond to the needs of the world. We get the breastplate of righteousness to cover and protect the core part of who we are, our heart and our life source. We get shoes, whatever style suits you, bright blue ones or brown leather ones, but whatever they are, they are to make you ready to proclaim the gospel of God's peace in this world. We get the shield of faith to protect us from the flaming arrows sent by the evil one, a helmet of salvation that protects our minds and eyes from the evils of this world and reminds us of our baptism in Christ. Notice that up until this point, the armor of God is not about offense, it's about defense. It's about making sure that we are protected as children of God and the only weapon that we are to take up is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I don't know about you, but I've never worn a suit of armor. I did wear this sort of heavy dry suit sort of thing to let me go snorkeling and nearly freezing water, and it was pretty heavy. But if you get on the Google, and say, how much did Roman soldiers' armor weigh, which is what Paul is writing about, it could be anywhere between 60 or 100 pounds. That's 60 or 100 pounds more than just you walking around your own body weight. That's a lot of kit to carry, right? 
It's a burden to take on the whole armor of God. It's heavy. It's a responsibility. But before we get too anxious, it's important to remember that Paul is not calling on you to become some sort of lone ranger going out clothed in the armor of God to take on the world. We're not called to put this armor on alone. When you hear Paul say, you and your, what you should hear in a very southern voice is y'all and y'alls. We are called to wear the whole armor of God, not as individuals, but as the body of Christ. But we still got to be ready to put all that on. We still got to be in shape spiritually to carry the weight of the responsibility of God's armor. We've got to spend some time grasping what that mystery of the gospel that we are supposed to make known so boldly. And when we turn to our gospel reading from John, dear old Simon Peter, always the one to give us a good one-liner, gives us a great place to start. In our gospel this morning, Jesus is concluding his teaching on the bread of life, and he sums it up this way. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me, and I am them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever eats me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like that which your ancestors ate and they died. The one who eats this bread will live forever. Now, we talked before about how all of this eating flesh and drinking blood was giving Jesus' followers a hard time. It didn't make sense. We don't eat people. We don't drink blood. In Jewish communities, before they would butcher an animal, they would remove the blood from it because the blood was the very life. And then here is Jesus saying, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood to have life eternal. And so when Jesus sums it up, we hear from the very own gospel that people start complaining. They start going, I think this guy has lost his way. And some of them leave. So Jesus looks to the 12 and says... Are you going to go with them? And Simon Peter gives us one of the truest statements and descriptions of what conversion to Jesus Christ looks like when he looks at Jesus and says, Lord, to whom can we go? Where can we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. That is a conversion to Christ right there. And in that short phrase, Peter recognizes there ain't nobody else. It all starts, ends, and depends on Jesus Christ. The only way to get to God is through Jesus. And this is the starting point. This is the starting point of becoming part of the body of Christ. Our presiding bishop in the Episcopal Church, Michael Curry, calls this the way of Jesus, which means it's the way of love. Earlier on in Ephesians, Paul wrote, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. This 
is the way of love and is the way of Jesus and is the way that we become spiritually strong as the body of Christ to put on the whole armor of God and to fight the evil of this world. This thing that we call church, this thing that we call the body of Christ, Bishop Curry nicknames the Jesus movement. He defines it this way. It's the ongoing community of people centered on Jesus who follow him into loving, liberating, and life-giving relationship with God, with each other, and with the earth. And we know that this way isn't just about making some mental decision that Jesus is everything. It's coming to that point and realization that Peter had, which is that Jesus is the only thing, that Jesus is the only way. And just like when we decide to get physically healthy, we just can't wake up one day and say, I'm going to be physically healthy and then do nothing about it. We have to develop good habits and practices so that we can be best prepared to stand in God's strength and put on that armor. Ephesians gives us six accessories of the armor of God, and the way of love that Bishop Curry invites us to consider gives us seven practices. Turn, learn, pray, worship, bless, go, and rest. And today I'm going to invite you to consider taking part more fully in that way of love in those holy practices so that you can be best prepared to take on the armor of God. And just like Paul describes accessories for the armor, I, ha I have some accessories to give. <laughs> Paul will help me out. So you're going to get a little card, all right? Carry it in your wallet if you would like says, what do we seek? We seek love. We seek freedom. We seek abundant life. We seek Jesus. And then it's going to give you a little synopsis of what turn, learn, pray, worship, bless, and go, and rest mean. When we talk about turning, we talk first and foremost about turning to Jesus. We talk about pausing listening and choosing to follow Jesus and to turn away from the powers of sin and death and hatred and fear and injustice and oppression towards a way of truth, love, hope, and freedom. When we talk about learning, we mean we got to learn and live in the Holy Scripture of God. We got to read it every day. If we're going to wield that sword, we got to know what is in there. We've got to open our minds and hearts to the scripture. And we've got to learn to see God's story and God's work in the world around us. Mm -hmm. And we've got to pray. We've got to pray every day, dwelling intentionally with God. We've got to come humbly and open up our hearts to God. We've got to say thank you to God. But we also then got to shut our mouths and listen for what God has to say to us. We got to worship. 
but you got to come together week by week in this community. I invite you to come here. If this is your first time here, we hope you come back. And if you're here every Sunday, keep on coming back. But we got to come together weekly to thank and praise out loud in front of our community, to be held accountable, to be filled up with the Holy Spirit so that we can then be sent out into the world. We got to bless. And by that, we don't just mean saying bless you when somebody sneezes. That means we got to share our faith unselfishly. That means we got to give and we got to serve and we got to let the Holy Spirit empower us to bless everyone we meet, those that we like and look like us and those that are different from us and that we don't like. We still got to love them and bless them. We got to go, and that may be the hardest. When we go, that means we got to be willing to cross all the boundaries. That means we got to listen deeply and live like Jesus. That means we got to eat with sinners and tax collectors. That means we have to move beyond our circles of comfort and go out into the world and witness to love, justice, and truth with God, not only with our lips, but in our lives, we got to speak it and we got to live it. And we got to go out into this hurting world and offer God's healing and invite them to become reconciled in love through Jesus Christ to God. And then we got to remember to rest. We got to receive the gift of God's grace and peace. And we got to trust God enough to handle things long enough for us to sit down and just rest. Amen. We run 90 to nothing in this world and we think it's all on us and all about us. And God invites us to at least set aside some time to lay those burdens down and let God carry them for a minute. As we have begun a new school year. As we prepare for our visit from the bishop in a few weeks, as we continue our discernment of ministry and what our witness in this community looks like, I invite you to take up the way of love. You can start with what's on this card. I'm sure we probably have extras if you want to take extras with you. You can go if you on the web and get more resources or if you want more resources you ask me and I'll get them for you but it starts with the simple commitment of realizing that where else can we go but Jesus Amen. and then what does it mean to follow the way of love the way Christ called us to and to take on these practices so that we are spiritually fit to take on the whole armor of God we need Jesus. We need a practice of learning and prayer and worship and blessing and going and resting and turning. We need this to take part in the rhythm of, and when we do this, we take part in the rhythm of Christian communities throughout history. Bishop Curry didn't come up with this. Christians have been making this commitment and living this way for hundreds of years. And we do this because we know and we recognize that we need the transformative power of Jesus's loving, liberating, life-giving way now more than ever. Not only we need it, 
Our community needs it. Our world needs it. We need to find a way of loving and setting people free instead of hatred, division, and oppression. We got to put on the whole armor of God so that we can boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel. The mystery that Jesus's way of love led him through the evils of this world and to the cross and to the grave. And then we must boldly proclaim the mystery that in dying, Jesus defeated death and opened the way for all people to be transformed and to live into a resurrection life and to be reconciled to God and to each other. I invite you, I challenge you to take on these practices because the world needs us to now more than ever. Amen. We got to show the world through our words and our lives that we believe and know that Jesus is the Holy One of God and that he has the words of eternal life. And then we got to invite them to join us and to be transformed by that love of Christ. Amen. Amen.